I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. Hello and welcome to Cheeky Scientist Radio. This show is focused on informational interviews and job referrals. The two go hand in hand for any PhD level job search, and it is your ticket to getting hired in this difficult economy. We are currently in a recession. There has been an economic downturn. The job search methodology that was working even back in January for many, uh, certainly last year, no longer applies. Uh, there is an oversupply of job candidates in the job market now. There is an undersupply of jobs. The good news is, as a PhD, you can protect your career by learning the recession job search methodology, the post-pandemic PhD job search methodology that will apply to the post-pandemic job search or job market that we are currently in. We've been discussing on this show several things that you need to do to update your resume, your LinkedIn profile, but here we're going to focus on what I would say is the most difficult aspect of a job search for PhDs, interacting with other people, getting a job referral from someone else. Most of us have realized, those of you listening, you've realized at some point that you do not have an industry network, certainly not an industry network the size uh, uh, that it needs to be or as engaged as it needs to be for you to easily get an industry job, either your first or next industry job. This is something that I realized when I was trying to get a job in the last recession after the 2008 financial crisis. The crisis hit. I was coming out of my PhD in about 2010, starting to look for jobs, and I realized it was very difficult. I uploaded resume after resume, hundreds of resumes without hearing anything back. This is something that many PhDs are experiencing right now. And I didn't know what to do. In fact, it became very difficult for me to understand what I had done wrong because I had entered academia partly because I wanted to better humanity, like most PhDs. I wanted to do meaningful work, but also because I thought by being in academia that my success would rely on me and what I did and whether or not I could get my work done, whether or not I could get data, whether or not I could publish. But I soon learned, like many of you, that even in academia, it's not that objective. The, the labs or the classrooms, the professors who are the most well-connected end up getting published and funded more. It's not always the best science. It's not always the best research or information that gets funded or gets attention, but it's the people running those, those labs or those classrooms uh, who are well-connected, uh, who know the most, most people uh, that get funded, that end up getting raises, that end up getting hired into top-level positions. It doesn't seem fair, and maybe it's not fair, but it is the way things are. And if it's that way in academia, you can't expect it to not be that way in industry. The good news is, is that it's better in industry because it's transparent. Uh, this idea of networking and of having a network and that network being a sort of currency of industry is open. It's an open book. It's, it's accepted. And it's done in a value-for-value value way where it's exchanged. In academia, it's almost hidden. It's almost like they want to pretend that things are not this way. They want to pretend that labs and classrooms and professors who are well-connected aren't getting funding just because they're well-connected. But very often they are. In fact, peer-reviewed journal articles show this. 
there's there's been great uh, studies done and reviews done showing that many labs where the science is not as good uh, to look at science or engineering or whatever background, uh, they're getting more funding than a newer lab or a, 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 a non-established lab, even though the science or the engineering of the data is better. Now, this, again, does not make it okay. It's not right. However, it just shows that there is value in your network. There's value in who you know. Being the sole person looking out for your career without interacting with other people, working day in and day out, having incredible work ethic, working by yourself, writing papers by yourself, writing grants by yourself, doing experiments, uh, grading papers, whatever it is, that alone is not enough to protect your career, especially during a recession. It's not enough to get you hired. Writing the best resume possible is not enough to get you hired. Submitting hundreds of resumes, working hard to target every individual resume to hundreds of different individual positions is not enough to get you hired, especially not in a recession. Instead, you have to network. The problem is, is that many of you have probably listened to other shows or maybe you've gone to other uh, webinars. You've had uh, speakers come into your university. Or, or otherwise, and they've told you, network, networking's important, go do it. And that was the end. They didn't give you a sequence, let alone a PhD level sequence. They didn't tell you strategies. They didn't give you the specifics because they themselves didn't understand the specifics. Or the specifics they gave you were very basic, shake hands, smile. Okay, you don't want to be shaking hands during the pandemic, but you get my point. Smile, make eye contact. We need to go deeper than this. We need to understand how you can move through levels of professional intimacy with someone to the point of where they're going to tell their boss or the decision maker at their company, yes, hire this person, or yes, I vouch for this person, or here's their resume. How do you get to that point? That's what this show is going to cover. Uh, you, you need to understand that having somebody who works at a company say that you're a good fit for a role that's open or about to be opened, that is the peak of your job search. That is what you're chasing. In case you were confused, that is what you're chasing. That is the best thing that you can have happen to you in your job search. That is when you become most likely to get an interview and not just get an interview, but get hired. In some cases, the interview can be, it can be a foregone conclusion if the right person refers you or if you have the right kind of referral or if it's a strong enough referral. Um, so I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about the informational interview process and how that leads to job referrals. But to set this up, I want to talk to you about something called straight line referrals, the straight line referral methodology. What does this mean? Think of your job search as a straight line, a straight line that you want to walk down yourself and that you want to take somebody else down, somebody else who's working at the company that you're interested in working at. You want to take them from A to Z along this line, and this line is broken up into three parts. The first part is just getting that person to respond to you. It's just opening up a dialogue. To take you back again to my story in 2008, I realized I couldn't get hired in a recession when I was looking a couple of years after the financial crisis of 2008. It was around 2010 that I started looking. We were deep in a recession. I had uploaded hundreds of resumes. I realized I needed an industry network. I didn't have one. And panic overcame me. And so I reached out to my PI and I said, is there anybody in industry you could introduce me to? 
And to my surprise, he said, no, I don't really know anybody in industry. Those were his exact, exact words. I don't really know anybody in industry. I couldn't believe it because like many PhD students or postdocs, you kind of think of your PI or your professor, et cetera, as a, kind of like a, a mini God or, or having, you know, all seeing awareness, all kinds of connections to anybody, uh, certainly in, in your domain, whether it's science or engineering, uh, social sciences, humanities, whatever it is. And for him to tell me that he could not connect me to people in industry, it really woke me up to the fact that I had wasted many years uh, not nurturing or building a network. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to go to my thesis committee. I asked every member of my thesis committee. They gave me the same answer. I don't really know anyone in industry. One of them knew somebody doing an industrial postdoc, which is a topic for another radio show, but I do not recommend an industrial postdoc. Uh, instead, just get into that full uh, industry position where the company will keep you uh, in a full-time position. Many companies, they do not keep on their industrial postdocs. Again, it's a subject for another radio show. That person was not helpful. Um, they were not part of the normal operations of the company. Uh, they were uh, siloed in this kind of industrial postdoc space. So I had to build a network on my own. The problem is, is that if you've ever tried to reach out to somebody on LinkedIn who works at a company, you, you come across a couple of problems right away. Number one, they're likely not going to respond to you because they're not active on LinkedIn. They have a job. They have no reason to be on LinkedIn. Even if you reach out and, and you message them, or if you're a premium member and you email them because you have unlimited emails, which I don't recommend either, and it's something that we'll discuss in a future radio show. But when you reach out, the, the LinkedIn system will send them an email. That email will likely go into their spam folder, or it'll likely go into their social folder, and they won't see it. And so you have to reach out multiple times, usually three or four times. That's what we see on average in our Cheeky Scientist Association. You'll reach out four, three or four times, one time per week. That's about the maximum that you want to do, one time per week. And then they'll finally see that same name or that same email come through. They'll open it. And if you're using the correct networking scripts, uh, if you're not saying anything passive aggressive, like just wondering if you got my last message, don't do that. Everybody hates it. They'll finally get back to you. And that's how you can open up the conversation. Now, this strategy is okay, but it takes time. And it took me several months to even start to build any sort of network uh, of people working in industry. And there are things that I learned along the way. There are things that we've seen uh, over the past decade in the association that really work. And this straight line referral methodology works because it keeps you and the other person focused on your goal, which is getting a referral. Now, there needs to be an exchange of value as you walk along this line, the three parts of this line, which I'm going to go through. The exchange of value is you're showing the person appreciation. Uh, you're not asking them to you know, look at your resume too early. Uh, you're treating them respectfully by taking them through the different levels of professional intimacy that we're going to go through properly. So let's set the framework here. In this straight line, for the straight line referral methodology, there are three parts to the line. The first section, so you can think of this as the, the, first, length of, uh, the first length on the line, is the goal of getting the other person to reply to you. You might need to follow up three or four times like I mentioned. If you do three, four times, I would say five, six at the most, and they don't respond, you have to leverage what we call in the association is the power of next. Okay, there are 
thousands upon thousands of people you can connect with in industry. You want to invest in every individual person. You want to create a professional relationship that will lead to an informational interview and a job referral. But at some point, you have to move on to another person. So follow up four times, six times at the most, once a week. And here's a hint. You're not doing this one at a time. Uh, You need to organize your job search. You need to have a, a spreadsheet where you're following up with and reaching out to 30, 40, 50 people. Yes, those numbers are real. 30, 40, 50 people at a time and keeping track of the last time you reached out. So you know when you need to reach out again. You can sync this spreadsheet with your calendar so you can wake up every day knowing the two, three, four, five people you're going to reach out to or follow up with that day. But on this first length, this first section of this straight line, your entire goal is just to get a reply. Until you have a reply from that person, you, you're not even on the line in a sense. Until you have a reply, there's no dialogue. It's just a monologue. This is why it's so important for you to use networking scripts that add value, show appreciation for the other person first, compliment their work, mention something that they've done or they've posted on LinkedIn before you ask for anything at all. Don't ask for anything. Just ask a question related to something they've accomplished. Ask them how they are doing during the pandemic. Ideally, if you have a network at all on LinkedIn, you might have some shared connections with this person. So you could ask for an introduction to this person and then ask that first question that is a level one intimacy question. We're going to go through this much more specifically. I'm going to give you actual scripts to use, the actual questions to ask. But in this case, you just want to get a reply. Perhaps they're in a LinkedIn group. Perhaps they follow an influencer on LinkedIn. There's lots of information you can find out about anybody if you read their profile and newsflash. If they put information on their profile, they want people to read it. They're hoping people read it. They know that it's public. They're saying, please, somebody read this and acknowledge what I've accomplished. Please, somebody acknowledge my my most recent uh, success, which is right here, this promotion that I got or this new job title that I have. That's how you lead your networking script when you reach out. We will cover networking scripts in detail in a future radio show. But for now, just know that you have to add value in that script first and then ask a question. Too many PhDs reach out to people, make a statement, congratulate somebody on their career progress or mention their most recent paper or similar. That's how they add value. But then they don't ask a question. And so if the other person reads it, they're like, oh, that was very kind. There's nothing that triggers them to respond. And until they respond, you don't have a dialogue. So again, this first section, this first part of this straight line is just to get a response. Try out as many things as possible here. Make your email subject lines or the first line of your LinkedIn message as specific to the person as possible. Mention something that's on their profile, something that would trigger them to open it, something that would make them say, oh, this is not a generic message. This is not spam. This is from somebody who's read my profile, who has something to say to me individually. And it can be anything topical. It can be a a certain holiday or a holiday season. It can be the fact that everybody's going through this uh, pandemic right now. And you could ask them how they're doing or if they're staying safe or how it's uh, affecting their career. Something in that first level of professional intimacy. Now, once they respond to you, you can move on to the second stretch of the straight line. This is the middle stretch. This is where you start moving it from a general level one intimacy, professional intimacy conversation to level two. This is where you might ask your first informational interview style question, which we're going to go through in detail here in a minute. This is where you might ask them, I see you're working at XYZ company. What's it like to work there? 
or what do you enjoy the most about working there, right? By framing it as in terms of what they enjoy the most, it stays in one of those early level intimacy questions, right? If you were to ask them, what do you hate about working at this company? You would never phrase it that way. But if you said, what's the most challenging part of working at this company? That's too intimate. Okay. You don't want to ask that up front. And so many PhDs dive right in. They ask these super intense questions that lead other people to never respond. You've likely already done this. Think of the PhD who gets in desperation mode for their career and sends a three-paragraph essay to somebody they'd never met before, listing all of their skills and asking the person to help them get a job. Or the person who sends their resume to somebody they've never met or met once and said, here's my resume, please review it and get back to me. What? Seriously? This does not work. You need to build the professional relationship. You need to slowly go through these professional levels of intimacy. You need to walk them uh, along this straight line. Okay, so we're going to be talking about many different models here to help you really understand how this process work, works, what networking is, what getting a job referral is, and, and how informational interviews um, are really the, the bedrock that allows both of these to occur successfully. So again, you're in the middle of this straight line. This is the second segment of the straight line. This is where you elevate you elevate the conversation in a sense. You elevate the informational interview. Now, don't get me confused here in terms of elevating the um, informational interview uh, versus the intimacy. They really go hand in hand, right? So as you, as you go to the next level of intimacy, you can elevate the conversation. You can elevate the informational interview to talk to them about uh, more specific things related to their careers, right? What do you do on a daily basis? This might be something that you move to and you ask them to. Uh, you might ask them, you know, uh, what's the work-life balance? That's kind of a mid-level uh, professional uh, intimacy question, right? What's the work-life balance? And from there, you go deeper and deeper and deeper until you get to the third section on this straight line. Uh, in the third section of the straight line, you might continue to elevate these informational interview style questions. You might ask them about the hiring pipeline at their company, right? They might tell you about jobs that are not open yet, but jobs that are about to be opened in the future. And the goal is to continue to elevate the informational interview as you go along this straight line, as in ask questions that are more and more intimate professionally until, until they reply to you and say, well, what about you? What's happening in your career? And everybody will do this. Okay. Everybody eventually, if you do this correctly, they will reciprocate. There's something called the law of reciprocation in behavioral psychology. It's when you go to a networking event, right? Before the pandemic, when you're at a networking event, if you have ever gone to one, or just in a general conversation with somebody at a poster session or otherwise a conference you may have gone to, and they were talking a lot and then they realized they were talking and they said, well, enough about me. What about you? Or you might have been on the other end of it. You might have realized at some point in some conversation you were talking a lot and you felt like it was time to reciprocate and let them talk. And you said, well, enough about me. What about you? This will happen in some way. It can happen by email, LinkedIn, phone, or otherwise video interview in person. Okay. So the, the whole point is to get to that part of the straight line, that part where they're going to ask you. What's going on with you? What's going on with your career? There's a, a variety of ways they might prompt you uh, to talk a little bit about yourself. You want to add value to them, walk them along this straight line till you get to that third segment where they do ask or where it's time for you to ask a question, right? So if they prompt you 
And sometimes it might be unprompted. Either way, you want to get to the point where you can ask them if you can use their name on a cover letter. Can I use your name as a reference on a cover letter? Maybe they tell you about a job that's in the pipeline there. It's a completely reasonable to ask to put their name after a conversation, certainly after a lot of back and forth messages, after a phone call, et cetera. And we're going to talk about elevating the informational interview in terms of technology here in a minute. Because um, ideally, you want to move from email, LinkedIn, and messaging to a phone call, uh, to a, a video informational interview. That will help you elevate the uh, intimacy or, or dive deeper, depending on how you want to look at it, into more and more uh, intimate conversations with them professionally. So some of the questions that you want to get to that to, to move it towards a job referral is, can I use your name as a referral on a cover letter? Uh, would you mind passing on my resume to the hiring manager for the position that you just told me about? At the very least, you should ask them for an introduction to somebody else you can talk to at the company. Is there anybody else you could introduce me to here that might be able to tell me a little bit more about the company? What an easy question to ask if you've walked them along this straight line. So quickly, to recap, in terms of this model, the straight line referral methodology, the first segment, the first of three, is to just get them to reply to you. This makes it a dialogue. The second segment, this is where you want to introduce your first informational interview question, something about them, their career. You're elevating their credibility. People love giving their advice and their opinions. They love it. And remember, most people, if they refer somebody for a job, they get a large bonus. Anywhere between $500 to $5,000 on average. So you're not putting them out. You're not uh, only taking from them. You're giving, especially if you do this correctly. And then the third segment on that straight line is to ask for something. Okay, You want to continue to elevate that informational interview until you're able to ask to put their name on your cover letter, to, to pass the resume. Uh, through email or otherwise to the hiring manager for a position or to ask for an, an introduction to somebody. You could even ask for something much easier than that. Uh, you could lower the ante uh, in a sense. This is what it's called in the industry. Ask for something that's easier for them to say yes to. You know, Ask to connect with them on LinkedIn, for example. Once they say yes to that, they're much more likely to say yes to passing on your resume to a hiring manager and so forth. So that's the straight line referral methodology. Think about walking somebody along the straight line and it will help you stay focused. It'll help you also know where you're at in terms of the sequence because sequence matters. Did you get a reply yet? Have they even replied to you? How many of these people on this spreadsheet of these 30, 40, 50 people that you've reached out to, how many have replied? Okay, prioritize those. Now prioritize it in terms of how many of them have actually told you something about the company or their career or their position. And then prioritize based on how many of them have said, yes to something, yes to being a referral or yes to introducing you to somebody else and so forth. This is how you can prioritize your efforts in your job search. Okay, so when we're talking about informational interviews, there's two parts to an informational interview. If you don't know what an informational interview is, it's simply where you interview someone about their current position. Why is this so valuable? Why is this overall one of the best kept secrets in the job search industry, why has this become increasingly popular for people who are serious about getting into their first or next industry job? Because think about it this way. This is a, a story that I like to tell. And it, it goes like this. Imagine going up to somebody that you barely know. I, I did this um, actually when I was in graduate school. I was moving my apartment 
into another apartment. And I didn't have a lot of furniture. I had like a futon bed, seriously, a futon, a couch, a desk, a few other things. And there was somebody who had recently started working in our lab just over that summer. And we had got along pretty well. And so I asked him if he would help me move my apartment. Uh, he made every excuse in the book not to help me move my apartment because I didn't know him well enough. And asking somebody to help you move is a big ask. It is a big ask. So you start getting all kinds of excuses if you don't know somebody that well. Asking somebody to get you a job is an even bigger ask. Okay, you wouldn't go up to somebody you didn't know at all on the street and say, hey, will you help me move my apartment? That's going to be completely out of the ordinary. You would never do that, or, or I hope you would never do that. But there was many people that were working in my lab and other labs that I didn't know that well when I was moving. And I was curious on how to maybe box things better or what I should throw out, et cetera. So I found myself having conversations, asking people, have you moved recently here in this particular city? Any advice for me? Any services? Any, any, where can I get boxes, et cetera? Everybody had advice. Everybody could not wait to give me all the advice that they had on moving. All of the mistakes that they made, they told me about. They loved it. I had long conversations about moving. I usually had to cut off the conversation. Why were people so eager to talk to me about moving? Because people are eager to give their advice and their opinions, so much so that many, most people will give you unsolicited opinions all day long if you let them. This is the, this is the power of informational interviews. People, would, would very, uh, people that you don't, haven't met yet or you've talked to for the first time, they're not going to help you get a job. They're not going to do all of that work for you, especially if they don't really know you, but they will be very eager to tell you all about their exciting and important career. They're thinking, finally, somebody cares what I do. Finally, this is a sign that what I do is important. Finally, I'm getting some appreciation. You're elevating their credibility. They will talk your ear off about their company, uh, their job, what they do on a day-to-day -day basis, all the important stuff that they do everything that they like, that they don't like, if you set this up correctly. And there's two parts to informational interviewing. One is securing the informational interview, and then one is executing the informational interview. So when it comes to securing the interview, the most important thing that you want to do, and I'm going to go back uh, to this turn of phrase, you want to decrease the ante. So where am I coming up with that? It's, it's like a game of poker, right? Over time, in most games of poker, the ante uh, gets bigger and bigger. So every player has to put in more money, right? You have to put in more money, which raises the stakes overall. You want to lower the stakes. You want to lower the ante. Too many PhDs will ask people uh, if they can in interview them very formally, and it scares people off. You don't want to make this seem intense. You don't want to make it seem like they're interviewing for their job or you're keeping records of them. You don't want to bring a recording tape. Don't do that. You don't even want to bring a formal list of questions. You just want to have a few casual questions that you can ask them. Perhaps have a, a list, a small list in a notepad or on your phone or something that does not seem intimidating. Even when you're setting it up, when you're reaching out, you don't want to say, hi, do you have some time uh, in the near future where we can sit down for a while and I can ask you a bunch of questions about your job? What's the problem with this? First of all, it's too vague. They don't know what they're committing to. You didn't make it time dependent and you did not make it topic dependent. They don't know what kind of questions you're going to be asking. Maybe they're not going to know the answers. It's too, too intimidating, right? And you made it seem too formal. Instead, you want to say something like, I'm going to be making calls tomorrow 
Um, I'd love to just call you and talk to you for three minutes and just ask you two quick questions about your current job. And then even give them the questions. Just say, I want to know how, a little bit more about how you got into the job and what you enjoy about it. Those are le- great level one intimacy questions to ask. So when securing an informational interview, make it time dependent and topic dependent. And you want to set this up through networking properly, proper networking etiquette, and by adding value first, like we talked about. Again, make it time dependent and topic dependent, all informational interview requests. Now, when it comes to executing an informational interview, in general, you want to approach it like you're a very intrigued and interested journalist. Not an intense journalist. You're not working for the the New York Times, the Guardian. Uh, You're just a, a student journalist. This is where you want to step into that student role of discovery where you just want to learn. You're not a lawyer. You're not interrogating them. You're just going to ask them some casual questions in five key categories. Now, I'm going to give you a few different models here, a few different types of interview questions. We're going to look at the types of informational interview questions you can ask based on level of intimacy, professional intimacy, like we've been talking about. We're going to look at the five major categories, which I just set up here. We're going to go back to. And then we're also going to look at them in different stages. So in three different stages, the beginning, the middle, and the end. So first, let's look at the five major categories of informational interview style questions. The first is preparation. How did they learn about and get the position? So preparation on their end. How how did you learn about this position? How did you get into it? That line of questioning, what you're really asking about is their preparation for the job. Uh, Their transition is what you're asking about. The second is current fit. What are your current responsibilities? What do you do on a day-to-day basis? You, You should understand that by knowing the answers to those two types of, of questions, those two categories, you're going to learn a lot about the position and whether or not it's right for you. You're going to learn a lot about the company overall, which is what this is all about. It's not just about getting a referral. It's about you understanding which positions are right for you, which companies that you want to work for, because you can't just try to fit yourself into any company or any role. You have to make sure you're evaluating them for your benefit too. The third category, future fit. What is their career trajectory? Where do they go from here? This is important for you to know so that you don't get into a position where you're going to be stuck for a long period of time in one role. Uh, Where have other people gone before? Have they made lateral moves? Did they move from R&D over into applications, application scientist positions? Did they get into project management positions? What is the vertical trajectory? Do they start as as a engineer one or a scientist one and go to engineer two, three, and then it's senior and then it's director? Or what does it look like? Is, do they have principal scientist roles and then they have associate director and director? Very important for you to understand what the trajectory is, lateral and vertical. The fourth category, company fit. What is the company culture like? You must ask about culture. What's the culture like? What are their values? What are the unspoken rules? What are the power structures? Which department gets the most funding? Now, that's a very, very intimate question professionally that you would not want to ask at first. Same with this second, ca- uh, this fifth category. So the fifth and final category is lifestyle. What is the work-life balance? What are the pros and cons? Notice here you're asking for them to share some of the uh, challenging, uh, the bad or the negative stuff with you. Uh, these questions you need to be careful with. You cannot start with the deepest level of intimacy questions. Whether you want to think about it as the deepest level of intimacy or the highest level of intimacy, either way, you can't jump in and say, 
why are you working here? Why do you want this job? Like why questions are too deep to ask up front. So let's quickly recap these five categories of questions, preparation, current fit, future fit, company fit, and lifestyle. If you ask at least one question from any one, every one of those categories, uh, you are going to really understand if this role is good for you or not. And you're going to give them a sense that you are asked, like you would really work there, that you're really doing your homework. If you just ask about the day-to-day duties, right? You don't ask about lifestyle, et cetera. They're going to think that you have a big gap in your knowledge. Uh, if you just ask them about technical things, the technical things they do on their job, which a lot of PhDs do, they're going to think you have a huge gap in your knowledge in terms of what makes a company or a position a good fit for you. Make sure you're asking them how they got into the job, preparation. Make sure you're asking them what they do currently on a day-to-day basis, current fit. Make sure you're asking them where they're going to go. People love talking about where they think they're going. The future fit line of questioning is a great way to get them to really open up and engage because they'll start telling you about all the ideas and goals and plans they have in their head. Company fit, this is where they'll start to they'll start to take you into deeper levels of intimacy here. If you ask open-ended questions like, well, what's the company culture like? They'll start bringing up the things they like, but they'll also bring up some of the challenging things. And lifestyle is the fifth and final category. Now, in terms of the stages of an informational interview, let's talk about three parts, just like we did in terms of referrals overall. right? So if we zoom back out very quickly to our previous conversation about straight line referrals, Think of that line or those three stages as broader in scope. Now we're zeroing in just on the informational interview part. And if you look at the straight line of just the informational interview, what do you ask at the beginning, the middle, and the end of that line? Well, in the beginning, you want to ask questions about how they got into the role. Think about the beginning of them getting that job, right? So in the beginning, ask them beginning-based questions. How did you transition into this role? And then you can ask them the day-to-day stuff. Again, this, this is level one intimacy. What does your typical day look like? What do you do on a day-to-day pay basis? People love talking about this because it helps them process what they do. They'll start to categorize what they do on a day-to-day basis. They probably have never thought about it. It helps them externalize it. I found that many people love talking about what they do on a day-to-day or week-by-week basis. What do you enjoy doing in your spare time? This is like asking them, you know, How's the weather? We're talking about the weather. It's a great level one question because it's still related to their career, but it's done in a clever way by asking them what they do outside of their career, right? What do you enjoy doing in your spare time? This can open up more lifestyle types of questions and, and deeper levels of questioning in terms of, well, how much time do you, do you have to do that uh, hobby or, or whatever they mention? The middle, okay, let's go to that second stage, the middle. This is where you want to go from learning about the other person, learning about their transition into that role to learning about the company and position. What is the company culture like? What do you do on the weekends, right? So again, that's a lifestyle question, but it's at the middle now. It's it's a little bit deeper in terms of intimacy. How do you collaborate with your colleagues? How do things get done, right? So you move from the basic what style questions a little bit more to the how questions, How do things get done on a day-to-day basis? How do you overcome these challenges? Uh, You ask culture-based questions. Culture is the how, right? Corporate strategy is the what. That's usually going to be on the company website, but the how is something that you need to ask during this middle section of an informational interview. And then the end, the final stage, asking for specific advice and next steps. We've talked about a few of these. Is there anyone else at this company I should talk with? 
Is there anybody else I could talk to to learn a little bit more about this role or anybody in XYZ department I could talk to to learn about that department? What advice would you give someone in my position? This is a great way to turn the conversation from them to you. So if they do not prompt you to open up, if they do not ask you questions about yourself, if they do not initiate that reciprocation we were talking about earlier, this is a great question uh, to make the reciprocation occur uh, where you can prompt it. Ask them, what advice would you give to someone in my position? Say, wow, it sounds like this is a very exciting company to work for and it sounds like you're doing great work. Um, I'm still looking for a job. I'm looking to transition into my first industry job. This is something you've done before, clearly, uh, as you just told me. So what would you give someone, uh, what kind of advice would you give someone in my position? And this is where they'll start asking you questions to better understand your position and they'll give you advice and it's like your future pacing them and helping you. They're going to start helping you in their mind by giving you advice first and this naturally will lead to you asking to use their name on a cover letter, to pass a resume on, to help you uh, in action, because action will follow their words. Uh, as far as going into deeper and deeper levels of intimacy, this is something that a lot of PhDs don't think about. I would say, myself included, when I was a PhD student, you get so focused on your niche uh, field of study that we think everything revolves around this field. And if it doesn't have to do with the highest level levels of technical training in this field, then it can't be important. So part of the job that you need to do for yourself for a job search is to, to zoom out, to be more strategic, to realize that, okay, it's not just my technical skills that are, that are going to get me hired. It's not my PhD background. It's my transferable skills. My ability, like every PhD who's been properly trained, trains ability to do research and analysis, those key transferable skills that every employer is looking for right now. Your ability to learn quickly. And the same is true during these conversations, during your job search, during networking. Pull yourself out of those standard academic technical conversations that you would have around a poster session. You have to ask questions that are broader in scope. And you have to start out with the most broad questions. Think of any time you talk to somebody as it being a trust experiment. They want to know if they can trust you. They don't know you. They think you're going to want something from them without giving anything in return. That's everybody's fear. If you've ever had anybody come on too strong to being your friend, let's say you met them at a conference, a poster session, they wanted to follow you, follow you around or somebody in the lab or classroom, we've all had that experience on both sides of it. We've likely done it to other people too, maybe when we were kids. Either way, it's an awkward experience and that's what everybody wants to avoid. People want to avoid being used, and they want to avoid awkwardness. So how can you help them avoid this? And what will they give you in return? They'll give you a referral in return if you help them avoid this through the way that you network with them, through the, through going, by going through the levels of intimacy properly. The levels of intimacy, they may not even be aware of themselves on a logical level. They just kind of sense it or feel it. All right, so start with level one questions. Just Casual, personal questions, which can literally be, how's the weather, right? You can, if there's a thunderstorm going on, if something is happening topically in the news, like the pandemic, something that's a shared human experience, it's ho the holiday season, you can start there. In terms of career-based questions, you could simply ask, how did you get started in this line of work? A very casual question. How did... If, they're, if you're talking to a PhD, which ideally you are, who's working in industry, ask them how they transitioned. 
What was your transition like? Did you have any challenges going from academia to industry? This is a great starting point. This is a level one intimacy question that every PhD can ask, especially of another PhD. Um, what parts of the job do you find the most enjoyable, right? Focus on the positive line of questioning in level one. What, what does a typical day look like? What do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Or just more casually, more generically, what's it like to work in this career? I love this question too. This is level one, a great way to get them talking and thinking. What most surprised you when you started working in this field? Or what was surprising to you now looking back when you first started working in this field? What, what's different about working in industry than in academia? Another great question to ask any PhD, a great level one intimacy question where you're just focused personally, not overly personally, but on the personal basics of the person and their professional career. Level two intimacy is all about qualifications. Now, you don't want to start with qualifications. You wouldn't want to ask them, well, you know, what's your PhD background or your education skills? Because then they're going to start to posture, right? They're going to start to say, okay, well, now we're, we're kind of comparing what you've done versus what I've done. You don't want to start there, okay? You don't want to ask first, how do my qualifications compare with this employer's expectations? It's just a little bit too deep too quickly. Okay, so instead you want to save this for the level level two intimacy. We're talking about professional intimacy here. What are the skills you use most in your work? What parts of your job do you find the most challenging? Right. So notice in, in the level one intimacy version of that question, it was what parts of the job do you find the most enjoyable? Now you can start asking them about what do they find the most challenging? How, how does one get hired into this part of the organization? I love that question specifically because it it it's not too intimate and specific where you're asking them how you can get a specific job at the company but instead you're asking a little bit more generically a, a little bit uh in a lighter way in a less threatening way how does one get hired into this part of the organization or into this department great questions uh to ask for the for level two there's four levels overall all that we're going to go through Level three is about the landscape. Now, a question here as an example is, why do people leave this field? Can you imagine, now that we've been talking about these different levels, if you met somebody and you ask them right away, why do people leave this field? A lot of PhDs would think, oh, this is a great question to get to the heart of the matter right away. I'm going to ask it right up front. And you blow the entire informational interview. You come off as too intense or too awkward or both, and you don't get a referral because of it. Do you see why it's so important to go through these levels of intimacy and why most PhDs don't even consider this? Too many PhDs are out there learning and hearing either very generic things about networking and why it's important, et cetera, or they're hearing about very specific details, the minutia, the, they're focused on the trees or one tree in the entire forest instead of zooming out of the forest. What I'm trying to help you do is what we do with all of our cheeky scientist associates. I'm trying to help you see both the trees and the forest overall so you know how to navigate it in the right sequence based on thousands and thousands of PhDs who have done it correctly and have transitioned into industry by doing this. You have to go through all four of these levels of intimacy, professional intimacy in order. And you have to do it. You have to build the professional relationship. These are relationships that will stay with you for years and will lead to future referrals. You'll, you'll 
create professional relationships with people who move around a particular industry with recruiters who help fill jobs at one company, uh, then another, then another. And it's a much smaller world in industry than you might think. In many cases, smaller even than it is in academia. So going back to this third level of professional intimacy landscape, what are some other questions at this level? What are the opportunities in this career path? See how you're just zeroing in a little bit more? You're focused on landscape here. So you're not just saying, you know, how does one get into this department or, or, or this field? You're saying, what are the opportunities in this career path? You're taking them down that straight line towards the referral. What advice would you give to someone who wants to get started in this industry? We talked about that question before, right? So you're at that third stage. You're, you're moving them. You're just about to ask for something. You're just about to talk about yourself. Of course, you don't talk about yourself until the fourth and final level of intimacy. Um, one more question in level three here is, what is the typical career path for people in this field? So this is where you can start talking about career trajectory. You don't want to bring that up too soon. It's certainly not a first level of intimacy question because you're basically asking the person when they're going to get promoted, uh, if they're going to get promoted. Those are the thoughts that are going to come into their head. And it's an exciting place for them to go and then to talk about once there's some trust built, once there's level one and level two uh, trust established, you can ask career trajectory questions. Level four. Level four is the last level. It's about leads. It's about asking. Okay, you, had to, you have to add value first through the first three levels until you get to this point. Now, we've already talked about some of the questions here. The ideal is for you at this point to reach that level of reciprocation where they say enough about me, what about you, where they just ask you a casual question about where you are in your transition or when you're going to get your PhD or what the next step is for you. And that's where you talk to them about your interest and you mention what they've told you in the first three levels. You say, well, I really like what you're saying about this company. It seems like industry might be the right path for me, maybe even working here. Do you, are there any job openings at the company now? Or are there any uh, job opportunities in the pipeline here that you might be able to tell me about? Very open, very casual question. Ask them about the pipeline. I like the pipeline question the best because it's a bit more casual. Uh, it doesn't ask them to have specific knowledge of what jobs are already posted online. Instead, you just say, are there any jobs uh, coming through the pipeline that you might know about? And then either way, if they say yes or no, you have a place to go. If they say, not that I'm aware of, but if you give me your resume, I can pass it on to the hiring manager. Or if they just say, not that I'm aware of, so I completely understand, uh, in case something opens up, can I give you my resume to pass on to the hiring manager? Do you see how easy that transition is? And it's only made possible by doing things in the right sequence. Is there anything else you think I should know? A great question. And this, very often, the way they answer this question is by saying, well, I don't know. What, what are your goals? What are your career goals? And now the, the reciprocation has started. You ask them, can I use your name on a cover letter? For a position, right? Maybe you bring up a position that's already available at this company and say, well, after talking to you, I think working at this company would be a, a perfect fit for me. There's a position open uh, in XYZ department. Would you be comfortable now that we've had a, a long conversation here or we've had a good conversation? Would you be comfortable with me putting your name down just as a reference that we've talked before uh, on, on the cover letter when I apply? That's a simple yes, no question. Most people will say yes. if you have gone through these levels of intimacy 
appropriately. Now, at the very least, you should ask, is there one or two people uh, that it might be good for me to talk to at this company uh, to learn a little bit more about it? Or is there somebody else you could introduce me to at this company so that I could ask a, a few more questions about you know, maybe this different department? Either way, just ask them if there's anybody else they could introduce you to who it might be worthwhile for you to talk to. Very easy for them to think of somebody and to refer you. Keep that networking chain going. The very, very bare minimum questions that you should be asking here in this fourth and final level of intimacy are, may I have your business card so you can follow up, obviously, get their contact details, or could I follow you on LinkedIn if you didn't happen to meet on LinkedIn, or is it okay if I circle back in a few months uh, when I graduate and, and maybe pass you my resume to take a look at, or is it okay if I circle back in a few months uh, before I graduate to see if there are any job openings in this particular department or at your company? That is how informational interviewing works. Very likely, this is a, a different side of informational interviewing. It's more of the, the people side of it than you've heard in the past. And that's how you have to approach it. You have to see these professional relationships as valuable and you have to see them as a value exchange where you're adding value first and where you're building trust. It's a trust experiment. And the best way to build trust is by going through these levels of intimacy in the right order and this is something that every PhD can do. I've seen it with thousands of PhDs. And once they understand how to do it, you can scale it. You can start doing it every single day. I see PhDs having three, four, five, six, seven, even nine, 10, 11 informational interviews every week or two right before they get hired. This is your key to success in a job search, certainly in a job search in a recession or in a down economy. You can do it. You can get hired. If you're listening to this, you deserve an industry position. You deserve it. You deserve it. You can do meaningful work and you can be paid well for it. You just have to put in the work. You have to treat your job search as kind of a second job in itself. You have to get access to the right information and you're doing that already by being here and you have to build a network. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. I'm Isaiah Henkel, the founder of Cheeky Scientist and the creator of the Cheeky Scientist Association. I wanted to quickly tell you that memberships into the association are available to PhDs listening to Cheeky Scientist Radio by using the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's PhDs gethired.com, P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll down to the orange membership button and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. That's CheekyRadio, C-H-E-E-K-Y-R-A-D-I-O. Remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.